Um, I want to talk about Ralph for a moment. I have known about Ralph since the late 70s. Uh, Ralph has been just an incredible force in my life from a distance. I've I read about him years ago, I've followed him, I've watched what he's been doing, and he's a, uh, he is a true uh, leader, one of the most humble people I've ever met in my life while going around changing the world. And, um, and he's just, like I said, he says more by accident than on purpose that will just alter everything that you're doing in your life. This past February, I had the pleasure of meeting him for the first time. I went to Tampa with Exponential, uh, an organization that is part of what we do here at Destiny, and, and uh, Ralph was there uh, teaching at this cohort that I was, was part of, and we just hit it off. We began talking, and of course, um, Ralph is much, much older than I am, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but he remembers a whole lot more than I do. Uh, but we kind of grew up uh, experiencing the same things in the church. And so we've seen evolutions and revolutions over the last 30, 40 years uh, that gives us a unique perspective. But one of the things that, that I see coming from Ralph, and I am elongating this introduction because I want you to know who's here today. One of the things I've been watching with Ralph is that he's been one of these guys that life has just been building up to what's next. And what you are going to hear today and the things that you'll hear this afternoon are really about what's next. And I think the church is headed toward one of the greatest periods in the history of the New Testament church in, in a couple thousand years. And, uh, and especially here in the United States where everybody thinks this is a lost cause, I think the church is just getting started. And, and one of the folks that's going to help steer and guide us through this and into this is a guy by the name of Ralph Moore. Um, he's one of my new bestest friends ever, and you're going to love him, and he'll be your friend. So would you guys give a huge warm welcome to Ralph Moore this morning? Well, how y'all doing? I'm uh, pretty happy to be here I, for some reasons I, I want to talk to you about. I, I've been involved in um, planting churches. I started a church in 1971. I was 25 years old. I had been a kind of a failed youth pastor, uh, but I learned to make disciples there. And church started out, and, and it was kind of during the hippie time, the Jesus movement deal, and uh, a lot of people came to church in groups, and they actually were like at a point where we got like to 80 people in the church. There's four groups. There's the 20 or so that think I'm their pastor. There's 20 or so that think Rich Agazino's their pastor. There's about that many that follow a guy named Virgil, and there's about that many that follow another guy who we never really got things right with. So I don't say his name. And uh, I'm frustrated. I, you know, I, I'm supposed to be the pastor of this thing. And here's these people, you know, leading stuff. And, and nobody looks at me as the authority. And, and one day the Lord spoke to me and said, you, you just need to make friends with those three men. And I made friends with two of them. Uh, third one didn't go off so well. But uh, one thing led to another. And Richard Agazino, who was a carpenter, 
was asked to come and lead a Bible study on Sunday night. Back in those days, if you loved the church, you came on Sunday morning. If you loved the pastor, you came back on Sunday night. And if you loved the Lord, you came on Wednesday too. <laughs> and, um, and so we had some people that lived about eight miles away, surface streets, no freeway, and they had a hard time coming back for the night services. So could Richard lead a service in one of their houses? And so uh, we all had a background in a group called the Navigators, or we were into making disciples real heavy. And Rich was already leading four study groups a week on top of being a carpenter. And now there's a fifth. And so the thing started to grow. And one thing led to another, and they wanted to become their own church. And that was against the rules in the denomination we were in. And But a wise man had told me that it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. And so we went and started it and then told them later, and actually they blessed us. And as a result of that, uh, Richard became a carpenter. Church grew to about 500 people. Uh, he became a pastor. Do you know Jesus was a carpenter? And he did things. And Richard was a carpenter. And somebody attacked him. Uh, we were, they were at a meeting, and there's a guy who had a, 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 he had a doctor's degree. And he was a pastor in that town. And uh, pastoring church about 150 people and Richard's pastoring like 500 now and um, and has started four more churches and so this guy goes so in front of a bunch of other pastors so Richard tell me where you studied for the ministry because he knows he didn't go to seminary he's putting him down and, and Richard goes well I studied under Ralph Moore which I heard that it's like oh shut up and, and, and there's a thousand people that go to his church. And then he goes, how many go to your church? And, and the guy kind of starts stumbling. And then the guy goes, besides that, I'm a carpenter. And so was Jesus. <laughs> well, we've been starting churches ever since with carpenters and lawyers, medical doctor, plumbers, IT techs, all guys that we trained up inside of our church. And we're watching... What we did as outsiders, become we've started 2,400 churches now around the world. And what we were sort of put down for become the, the hopeful solution to the declining church in the United States of America. We've had bigger churches than ever for the last 40 years. They used to say a church of 1,000 was like a nation. Well, now they, they, that barely makes the cut of what they call a megachurch. I pastored a couple churches of a couple thousand, but they're on the small side of megachurch. But during the 40 years of megachurch, we've consistently seen small churches die because megachurches grow off of transfer growth, including the ones I've pastored. And we're, we're seeing net loss every year in Christianity. We're losing the battle. And we want to come back and, 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 and win the war. And, and people now are coming and saying, how do you guys do this? How do you do what you do? How do you take ordinary people? And, and, and we've come up with a term now, microchurch. Microchurch, think of a house church that might not meet in a house. But think of Tom McCarthy's house church that met in his house. Tom was a medical doctor in Santa Rosa, California. And he was going to a church and his doctrine didn't quite fit with them. He, he thought about the Holy Spirit much like you think about the Holy Spirit. And that church didn't. And the pastor loved Tom. And he came and said, you know what, why don't you start a little church in your house? Because if, if we stay at this long, we're going to end up in war with each other over doctrine. So just start a little church in your house. He did, and it grew to a 1,000 people. So Tom 
the freelance, the medical doctor, freelance pastor of a microchurch launches something, it grows to 1,000. But some other guy launches a microchurch and it grows to 25. That's fine. Sven Anders starts a microchurch in his little automotive garage where there's a lot of drug addicts living around there. And it grows to eight people. And he pastors them for six years. And people come to the Lord and they get delivered. So we're looking at this thing from a lot of different angles. And, 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 we're, and we're presenting to the church in America now. This is the Bible. The you know, book of Acts starts with, with Acts chapter 2. It's a mega church. Boom, overnight, 3,000 people. Two chapters later, it's 5,000 people. But then you get down and, 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 and you get a little further in and, and, and those Gentiles start accepting the Lord in Antioch and, and then Paul goes out and preaches and he's in Lystra and Derby and preaching and, and they think he's a god and then they figure out he's not a god because he says so and they stone him and they think they've killed him. And the Bible says that they went back to the villages where they had been and from among their disciples they pointed to elders, which means they started churches. No way in the world did those guys go to seminary. No way were they paid full time to be a pastor. They were freelance pastors who were, you know, minding the local store or doing whatever they do. Am I making sense? This is our future. Now, here's why I'm so happy to be here today. Because he did what I'm talking about. He did what I'm talking about. He's an insurance agent first and a pastor second called to be a pastor but he's got a career that God called them to and I know Greg and I don't know if you know this because I don't know if he talks about it in church we didn't talk about me saying any of this but I know that Greg was told by some people that I really respect in California you're not all in because he wouldn't quit his insurance business and just be a full-time pastor well they're fools and what he did is right I sat in this room two days ago I heard a guy who says, I'm a commercial banker. My wife's a medical doctor. We started a church. And people are attacking us because I won't quit my job and be a full-time pastor. He wept as he said that. An hour later, I'm talking to another guy who was sent here, pastor at a big church in Georgia, was sent here and funded here to become a pastor. He was a CPA before. And now he's at a point where the church didn't grow like it, they thought it would grow. And he's run out of money. And so he just took a job. And the group that he was working with that was helping fund the church just said, money's over. Sorry, you're not, you're not a real pastor. Well, we think the world's going to look a lot different in order for the church to survive, let alone thrive. Am I making sense? And so what you don't know is I get to talk to a lot of people across the country. And one of the stories that I tell is of Greg Wigfield and Destiny Church in Leesburg, Virginia. And it's helping other people get a vision to do something that your pastor did and that maybe five or six of you will end up doing before the, the day is done. I spent seven weeks in Europe this summer. Did a lot of teaching, a lot of time with a whole bunch of pastors and leaders. And that, if they weren't doing what you, your pastor did, the church in Europe would not survive at all. It wouldn't even be there. There's just guys all over the place that are doing what Greg did. And so I just want to say hats off to you all. But I want you also to know that you're, you're in a position of great danger if you sit in this church for very long. 
because three years from now you might be pastoring a church and you didn't come here for that but it might happen to you well enough of that I have a sermon that um, if I can find my notes here I have a sermon it's called who are your children of peace Who's a person of peace? And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, the first 12 verses this morning as we talk. And as we get into this, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to tell you a story. And I want to just kind of read through the scriptures pretty quick and then tell you another story. And this story happened last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday was my 53rd wedding anniversary. I really am a lot older than Greg. I'm 73 years old. And I got married when I was 20. Um, my wife is much older than me, 363 days. I never let her forget that. She robbed the cradle. And so we celebrated our wedding anniversary in a most appropriate way. We went to hear Ringo Starr and his all-star band. Uh, I told some, some young kids, I go to a, a brand new church. In fact, they're a year old today, my church. And my pastor was the bad boy in our youth group growing up. Uh, and he really was. He had an acid mouth. He got in trouble all the time. He got kicked out of a Bible college twice. Took seven years to get through a four-year program. Uh, and he's an incredible pastor. I'm just in awe of him and the way he communicates, but the way he loves on people. But I was at church. I'm by far the oldest person in my church, except my wife. And, um, <laughs> and so I, I told some people, that, you know, we're not going to be here next week. We're, we're going to go hear Ringo Starr. And, and, and a couple of times I just got puzzled looks. And one person said, um, uh, was he the drummer in, the, in that, that band, the Beatles? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> they'd never heard of him before. It was crazy. But it was the Ringo Starr concert. And we get there early. And, you know, I'm pretty good at this thing. I can do this. I'm okay with an audience. But if I have to talk to you outside after this is over, I don't know much of what to say other than, hi, my name is Ralph, and then feel stupid. Because I just am kind of like that. I, I'm kind of an introvert. Uh, Friday I spent some time with Greg after we did our little thing in the morning. And then, uh, you know, he's all apologetic because of his knees so bad. And he's got to go home and rest. And is, is that okay with you? If I, like he's abandoning me. It's like, no, I get to go to my room and work on my computer. I love, you know, be by myself. And, so I'm just not very good with, with individuals when I meet them. And my wife is just the opposite. She makes friends everywhere we go. And I'll tell you about that at the end of this. But um, So I, I, I'm, I'm at this concert, and we get there early. And I go and buy the, the hamburger and the hot dogs for $37. I <laughs> just can't believe it. And I, and, I, and I come out, and my wife found a table with two other people. And she's already talking to them. So it's like, normally, I'm just going to sit there and eat. And, and, you know, if I get on an airplane, somebody says hello to me, I go, uh, and that's the end of it. And, and, and so she's already talking to these people. And this guy starts asking me, what do you do for a job? And so I'm retired from being a pastor, but I do a little part-time thing where I travel around the country and, and do what I'm actually here for tomorrow in D.C. And, and, and so I told him, I, I train pastors to, to make disciples who become pastors rather than going to seminary. And so we're, we're starting churches. And, and, and then he just boldly informs me 
people are against religion, you know. And it's like, whoa, that door closed in a hurry. And so I, I, I'm, I'm kind of stuck now. I got to keep talking to him. And so I, I start talking to him about Europe and what's going on in, in, in Europe and a couple of people that I met last you know, month ago in Europe and, and, and what they're doing and how people are spiritually hungry because of World War II. And, and in World War II, they, they gave up on God, basically. How could this Holocaust happen if there is a God? That's the story of Europe. But because of the emptiness inside, people are coming back and they're finding life in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and you know what? He kind of melted just a little bit. And then we started talking and, 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 and I found out he's really interested in World War II. And I've been to Normandy, D-Day beaches, two or three times. A guy in my church went ashore on June the 6th, 1944. And, and, and got shot and ended up the rest of his life hurting from it. And, and so we start telling all these stories. And, 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 and sadly, the guy lives about 150 miles from where I live. I never even got his name. But we spent about 25 minutes in just deep, engaging conversation. Now, if I lived in the same town as he did, I would follow up because I would believe that he's a person of peace in my life, according to what the scripture says. He's a person who I found a way into his heart through talking about books we've read about World War II that has now expanded his mind just a little bit to where it's okay not to preach at him, but to just talk a little bit about Jesus and what Jesus does in our life, because I was able to do that in this 25-minute conversation several times. Am I making sense? So what's my point? You have persons of peace in your life, and if you don't, you should. If you don't, you should. You should be looking for them. And that's exactly what the scripture is all about. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, tells his friends, go, and as you go, pray for your friends. Starts out like this. After these things, the Lord appointed 72 others also, and sent them two by two, good to go with a friend, before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now he's sending these people as front people. He's going to go where they go. But that's actually what he's doing today. Jesus is going to go where you go. And if you don't go, he can't go there. If I don't talk to the guy that I sit and eat hot dogs with, then Jesus can't really talk to him. But when I talk to him, it opens the door. But then as he says this, and he commissions them, he just adds a little sideline. He says, oh, by the way, pray for your friends, because there's not enough people doing this. We need more labor in the harvest. The harvest is great. There are people in America are, are, are living their lives without Jesus, and they're hurting bad. You know, the largest religious affiliation in the United States now, according to Pew Research Group, is the religious nuns. There's more people who say they have no religion than there are Muslims or Christians in America. More Christians than Muslims, obviously, but more religious nuns. There's those people in the mission field. And they're your neighbors. They're the people you go to work with. They're the people you go to school with. They need Jesus. 
But you start out not by going to them. You start out by praying for your friends, that your friends will join you and, and go to them. Second thing he says is, I call it, go in courage and simplicity. He says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. You know, I send you as lambs among wolves. People are against religion, you know. That was how that conversation started out. Now, if I want to get back and fight with him, I can become a wolf. Jesus sends me as a lamb. I'm supposed to make friends. I'm supposed to surrender a little bit of my identity to make this relationship. Am I making any sense here? And then he says, don't take a lot of money and a lot of stuff. One of the problems in church in America is we're caught up in stuff. You know, some churches are, I, I go to them, I, I can't believe the hardware that I see in their campuses and the, the toys. I, I was in a, in a huge church in Southern California and it, it, it looked like going into one of these uh, game parlors in the mall. You know, there's every kind of video arcade game that you could possibly imagine in a high school, uh, supposedly like a class for high school students. It's like, if they're playing the games, when do they have any time for the Bible? You know? And what we're beginning to realize is the millennials who come up using these things more than they are in friendship with a lot of people, just part of life, are craving friendship. They're craving relationship. We, they don't need our hardware. In fact, the, the millennial generation as a whole, surveys have been done. They mock the church because the church is so much into its hardware and its programs. We don't want that. We want friendship. See, we're back to micro church. We're back to house church. We're back to some of you could actually lead a church. You could stay in this church while you're leading a church on Tuesday night. That's working out really well as a model in Sri Lanka, where I come from. And so it goes on and, and says that you should engage with people with your peace. It says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, we're not in a situation where we need to go and eat somebody else's food, but we are in a situation where we need to identify the person of peace. Is this a person who I can get along with? Is this a person who I can relate to? Is, does this relationship have any kind of a future in it? See, the guy that I met at the table, actually I do remember his name, was Pete. The guy Pete that I met at the table that I'm never going to see again in my life was a person of peace in that he was willing to accept me, A, as I'm a Christian, and B, as, as, as a friend, and C, the little things that I start to say about Jesus, he's willing to tolerate them. He's not engaging them, he's just tolerating them. But he's the person of peace. And it says, when you meet this person, let your peace rest. What's that mean? Well, be their friend. Love them, pray for them, hang in there with them. Let the friendship go. And then it says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. And when I read that, uh, I, I, I've, I've lived a lot of life and I've been a pastor for a long time. And one of the things that I see this business of heal the sick, it's like, you know, Jesus went around and some pretty fantastic things happened. You got the TV evangelists who slap people on the forehead and that turns us all off. Uh, we, we taught the people in our congregation 
You know, the best way that you can get into somebody's life talking about the Lord is if they got a problem in their life, pray for them. And here's how it works. If somebody's whining to you at work, they may be a rank atheist. You say to them, you know, if you're really brave, you say, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and, and I pray, could I pray for you? And you pray for them right there. And a few people will do that, but most of us don't have that kind of courage. And so what you do is you go, you know, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and I pray every night and, and tonight when I'm, when I'm having my prayer time, would, can I have your permission to pray for you tonight at home? In other words, I'm not going to slap you on the forehead. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to, as soon as you say that, they can say they don't believe in God, but they're going to be looking to heaven going, so are you going to do it or not? And once they've done that, God's got access into their heart. Remember Jesus said, where you go, I'm going to follow. Where we go, he's going to follow. The kingdom of God comes to people in this way. Am I making headway? And then he goes and he lets us off the hook. Because in the last two verses, he, he says it's, sometimes you just got to move on. He says, whenever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of this city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, this, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. That's pretty harsh stuff, you know. Go out and kick the dust off your feet and tell them the very dust testifies against you and, and you know, the day of judgment, you're going to hell. Um, that's a little bit strong. But what he really is saying is that there's time to move on. If, you know, uh, I, I've talked to some people who hear a message like what I'm preaching today and they get glued on to somebody who definitely doesn't want to hear what they have to say and they stay there for the rest of their life and there's five other people that would be open to it and, and, and they're stuck on the one who isn't open and, and they can't seem to get off that person. Am I making sense? Sometimes it's when you abandon that person and say, you know what, I, we're not going to talk about this stuff anymore because obviously you don't care. That, that as soon as you take something away from them, that's when they want it and they, and they reach back out for it. One of the greatest evangelists I ever met, and I don't mean like some big guy. I mean, because uh, uh, when I read the New Testament, evangelists is those people in your church that are good at about talking about Jesus, just wherever they go. I met a kid named Cowie Hill. He was a surfer. He actually ran a surf shop in Hawaii. I, I lived in Hawaii for 27 years or 35 years, I guess. And, um, and, and, and Cowie was just, as a 19-year-old kid, he was just telling everybody about Jesus, and they were listening. And the guy, he was funny. He eventually became a TV personality. He was just a goofy guy. Uh, but people would listen to him. But one time he told me a story of he's trying to talk to somebody about Jesus in the water. They're surfing. And, and the guy just cut him off cold. And Cowie goes, all right, you know, you heard. I said it. It's on you. When you stand at the judgment, then you just remember my face. Because I told you, you rejected it. Over. The guy begged him to tell him the gospel. So I have another person of peace story to tell you and then I'm going to end. I was in London about four weeks ago. I was on my way home. I'd been for about a month in Europe. I'd been in five different countries and pretty exhausted. And we got a, a taxi ride and um, my wife starts talking to the driver and the guy can barely understand him. He's got this really, really heavy accent and and, and, and I, but I recognized the accent. 
he's from Iraq. Uh, I live in a neighborhood in San Diego, California, uh, called Chaldean Hill. Uh, the, the, if you remember in the Old Testament, uh, there, there were the Chaldeans in Babylon. And um, there are a whole vast group of Christians called Chaldean Catholics. And almost all my neighbors are Chaldean Catholics. They, most of them own liquor stores, and many of them are deacons in their churches. And a very interesting mix of people. Wonderful neighbors I have. I love them. But I recognize this accent. And, and so here's me. Don't like to talk to people. Total, total stranger. And, and I go, um, uh, where, where are you from? And he goes, the, the, the Middle East. I go, Iraq, yeah? And, and now, now we're buddies. Now he wants to talk. And I don't want to talk. And, 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 and so he starts doing this, what I'm talking to you about today. Only the difference is, he's telling me my prophet said this, and my prophet said that, and my prophet said the other thing. And he's talking about Muhammad. He's a Muslim. He's trying his best to convert me. I told him I'm a pastor, and he didn't like that very well. And then I told him that I was... I, I spent a lot of my time in third world countries working with poor people and who are starting churches and, and, and he liked the fact that it was, I, as soon as I said the word poor, that was a good word and now we're buddies and he's telling me all about his prophet. Well, the, the name Jesus is written about a whole lot in the Quran. And so he's called Esau. And so he'd tell me what the prophet said and I go, well, Esau said this. Yeah, I know Esau said that, but the prophet said this other thing. I go, yeah, but Esau said this too. And so we spent maybe, it was a long taxi ride, maybe a half hour together in that taxi. And, and, um, and, and here's what I'm coming to. Both of those stories I told you are absolutely contrary to the way I live my life. If I know you, if I went to school with you or I worked with you in a secular job or you did work at my house, I'll talk to you about Jesus all day long, but I gotta get to know you first, because I'm scared of you. But I had two experiences in the last four weeks that were very, very positive. Enough to make me go, something's wrong with you, Ralph. You, you, you do your very best to avoid those people who might be the persons of peace in your life. And you hide behind your shyness. And I can't overcome my shyness. I'm shy. But every so often I can crawl out of myself and, 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 and do something like, Hi, my name is Ralph. What's yours? And then ask them a question about their life and then ask them another question about their life. Because if you're scared, that's a good way. You, know, you don't have to talk. You just ask them questions, right? And, 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 and I can get into people's lives. And at age 73, I'm figuring out there's something in the New Testament that I just missed. And, and, and I'm hoping that my sharing with you will help some of you come out of yourself and get into the lives of some other people that you interface with maybe every single day. I mean, there's a lot of us that we've never told anybody that we're even a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ. But that we would engage them, we'd be looking and searching out the person's a peace. And by the way, don't forget to pray for the person sitting next to you that they'll do. You know, turn and look at them and go, I hope you do what Ralph Moore just said. Do it right now, because I'm done. Thanks.
Hey, thank you, Ralph. Thank you so much. Um, I want to end this a little different than what we typically do today uh, because in my heart of hearts, I believe, uh, well, for one thing, you are the most incredible, wonderful church ever uh, on the face of the earth. I am so blessed to, to be allowed to even be in the room with you, uh, let alone be your pastor. But I have this undying dream, heart, hope, that in this room sit many people who will be life changers for many others. A lot of times we'll end a service and we'll take time to ask for anybody in the room who wants to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. But today I'm, I, I want to shift that just a little bit because um, I think there are quite a few people here who are close to many hundreds of people who really are looking for life, looking for hope, looking for a future, looking for Jesus. You know, Ephesians 1, we've talked about it a lot. Jesus is everywhere. He's in all things. But I love what Ralph said. If we don't go, Jesus doesn't get shown. The light bulb doesn't come on. And what he talked about today is not the old picture of evangelism where we've got to go out and make idiots of ourselves. That, that really is something that came out of left field. Jesus didn't do that. And all you have to do is watch what he did. He just made friends and loved them. And, and they were not, uh, they weren't people like him. They were people in great need. I think in this room today sit thousands of people looking for Jesus. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to join uh, let's, just, let's, just, let's just think for a moment that we're sitting with Jesus when he gives this truth out of Luke 10. And we're one of the 72. And all we know is what we just heard. Who can we go become friends with? Who can we accept? And I don't know what the percentage of people are in terms of introvert, extrovert. I am definitely an introvert. I didn't know that because I talked, but usually I'm talking to myself. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I listen. But, um, but that gives us from reaching the people that God's called us to reach. So I, I guess what I'm is this all freaking out? Um, what I want to say right now is this. I want you to get in the game. I want you to get in the game big time. I would love for everybody to be here at 2 o'clock today because I, God wants to take us somewhere. He wants to take you somewhere. Um, your life, we just really want it to matter for the kingdom. So I invite you to accept the call of Jesus today. And to be looking for the people of peace in your life that God will use 
in your life and through your life to change the culture around us. We, we are holding an incredible key here. And I just want you to understand where you are today and what we've heard today and what God wants to do. So would you just join me in prayer for a moment? Father, the, this thing that we have built that became so difficult, so strange, so weird, so, Lord, it's almost like the religion around us has taken us away from the ministry that you created us for. And I just pray that these walls would break down. Lord, that we'd be willing to look outside of the walls, outside of the structures that were accidentally created and start looking at people and start looking at at them as, as someone you dearly love, as someone who desperately needs to know you. And I pray that we would just start with love. We would just start by caring about them, by finding some common ground, though they may be light years away from us in how we live our lives and our culture, that we would find some common ground so that we could introduce them to you. Father, I pray that you would save us today from ourselves, save us from our religion and all the things that get in the way so that many others can be saved. God, I thank you so much for these few incredible, precious moments this morning. We submit ourselves to you. We commit ourselves to you. And Lord, I just pray that you turn the light bulbs on in our lives, that we could be the people you want us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.